All right, let's say a prayer. Father, we come before you <clears throat> in Jesus' name. Uh, I just pray, Lord, whatever needs to happen here, you just move in people's hearts and their minds. Remove all distractions. Give us ears to hear, Lord. Help, help just calm the crazy in our minds, the things that are calling us away from what you want to say. We welcome your presence, Lord. We renounce Satan and all he wants to do in our lives. We embrace you, Lord. We want your will, your way for us. Help us to put down our resistance. Convince us that your way is best. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, we're having such a good discussion. And uh, yeah, that's very distracting, isn't it? <laughs> we're having such a good We'll try to look at me and not, not laugh at that. Um, but we're having such a good discussion and leaders that uh, I was like, maybe I'll just scrap this sermon because um, something that Matt was talking about was really helpful um, that he wanted to address. And I guess I'll do just a little advertisement here before I jump in. And maybe because what I'm going to talk about can fuel that legalistic spirit. Oh, I got to study more. I got to know the Bible. More. I got to memorize more Bible verses or I'm not going to be in the club, not just in the church club, but in the God club. Like we had a lot of people, our coaches, you work harder. You're the coach's favorite. I was the hardest. A coach in high school told me I was the hardest working kid he ever coached. Right. That means I'm the most loved. Right. And a lot of our parents, not I'm being facetious. That's not true. Um, but with our parents, we think, you know, if we're, we, we want to achieve and perform and we want them to be proud of us, which ultimately, if we search our hearts, it means I'm loved more. You're proud of me, that therefore I'm loved. You, you come home with a, a C when you should have had an A and that look on their face says, I don't love you as much. And the, oh my goodness, you got an A? We love you so much now, right? That's just the way we're geared in our brains our fallen, sinful, wrecked brains. And so virtually every religion in the world, that's not true. That's what they're geared towards, that sickness in us. Every religion in the world is work for your salvation. Work for, what is salvation? Love. Enter, my child, through the pearly gates because you've done enough. Everybody that you witness to, why should I get into heaven? Because I've done enough. That's works-oriented love, and it's from hell. Works-oriented love. How many of you guys have ever got to the place in any relationship or any religion where you thought you did enough that you were locked in forever? Never. There's always more. There's always more. Actually, it almost broke me. When I was 19 years old, I was on this legalism, love by God, if I do more thing, and, and, you know, some of you have read it in the book that testimonies about me. Uh, I broke my physical health and it came about that close to breaking my mind. <clears throat> you will never experience God's love. You'll never experience that ultimate contentment, satisfaction, that peace and rest until you <clears throat> figure out what it is that God's trying to offer you, which is really, truly unconditional love. You really are loved as much as you can ever be loved, and there's nothing you have to do to earn it. And I was thinking as a father, and the way I love my children, if one of my sons were in jail or prison, and one of my sons were, you know, in Harvard Law or, you know, whatever, at, at, you know, some, some prestigious school, and one of my sons was another failure, and one of my sons was a top performer, it wouldn't affect 
the fact that I love them. I mean, I would be happy with the son who was performing. Why? Not because he's making me look good, but because he was experiencing the fullness of life. While this one that I loved equally as much was ripping himself off by doing stupid, destructive things. I didn't love one more than the other. If, if I'm a sane person, if I have God's kind of love, a lot of our parents didn't have that. We really did feel you're loved more or less depending on how well you're performing. But if we, if we have God's kind of love. So um, what Matt was talking about, if you think the, the things we're challenging you to do in this church are about you being in the club, you being accepted, you being loved by God or by us, you're getting the whole thing wrong. What we want you to do, the truth that we want you to figure out and that God wants you to figure out is you are loved and God, because of that, that foundation, he has huge, huge dreams for you, massive dreams for you, but it's not magic on that foundation of love. He then wants you to do some things to improve yourself, just like a football coach that loves you, or, you know, if you're an Olympic athlete, the Bible uses that athlete analogy a lot. They really love the athlete. They wouldn't love them more or less based on their performance. They would just love them. And they'd say, but let's really maximize what you got here. I think you could win the Olympics. I think you could be state champion. I think you could be all conference. I think you could be all state. I think you'd be all league, whatever. Um, the person that loves you if you've ever really loved somebody, when they succeed, you feel like you've succeeded, right? And God has huge dreams for us. And he wants to maximize our life. So you got one person who's going, oh, I got to get up in the morning and study the Bible, or I'm not going to be loved. And the people in the church are going to think I'm a loser, right? <laughs> and then you got another person that gets up in the morning and they're like, oh, man, I know I'm loved. I know the people in the church love me. I know God loves me. And I'm going to be in the word because God's going to teach me new stuff. I'm going to have new tools. I'm excited. And it's not always easy. I mean, so you got to get yourself out of bed. Sometimes I got to go for walks around the park or I'm going to fall asleep. But it's like, but I know why God's asked me to do it, because he's got big plans, big dreams. And he wants me to have the fullness of life. It's just a totally different uh, attitude. But this is not your sermon at all. This is just kind of a little advertisement leading into what I really wanted to talk about, because what I wanted to talk about could lead some of you that don't have that foundation of God's love in place. Like, oh, man, Ted's always telling us to study more, do more, think more. You know, it's like, no, it's because the battlefield is a mind. If you're defeated in life, it's because of your mind. If you're overcoming in life, you know the truth, as Jesus said, and the truth is setting you free. If you're a thriving Christian, it's because you know more spiritual information. If you're a struggling Christian, it's because you know less spiritual information. And so if God wants to build on that foundation of love and increase your experience of him and victory and fullness of life, you do have to do some things. So I hope that makes sense. And like Matt said, if it doesn't, please come talk to us until we figure out how to get that yoke off your shoulders. Because I don't wake up in the morning because I have to. And, you know, and seek the Lord. And I'm usually up at five or earlier. I do it because I get to be a part of God's plan. And part of God's plan is it, this room. And part of God's plan is some of your lives that are being transformed. And if nobody gets up at five and nobody prays and nobody learns the principles, we don't have a church. And some of you aren't sitting here and some of you are dead and some of you are in prison uh, and some of you guys are, you know, smoking something or drinking something or, right? 
are being abused somewhere. But the more we build on that foundation of love and do the things God wants us to do, the more we get to see his kingdom come and his will be done. Does that all make sense? So if you're struggling with that, come talk to me. Now let's close in prayer and we're done. No, anyway, but now I'm going to get on and talk to you guys about this, but I thought this could be misheard by some people that have that yoke. And if you do have that yoke, please come talk to us. Um, have an intelligent Christmas. Prepare your minds for action. It's not a suggestion. That's a command. There's something about the Christian life that takes some mental preparation. There's a very sad trend in Christianity over the last hundred years, two, well, more than two groups, but two major like religious trends, fundamentalism and Pentecostalism. A lot of them are brothers and sisters in Christ, but there's this anti-intellectual thrust that if you think too much, you're carnal, you're worldly. Christians used to be the smartest people around. If you study prior to the emergence of fundamentalism and Pentecostalism, they used to be the smartest people around in the 1700s and the 1800s. And Anyway, I won't, that's a sermon for a different time. Next seminar, we'll go into that. Incredible people that were committed to Christ and social transformers and cutting edge people in every single field. Now, Bible-believing born-again Christians are known as dum-dums. And we are dum-dums. Let's change it because the Bible commands us, gird your mind for action. Gird your mind for action. Be sober. That's literally, it's a figurative use of the word sober means not intermingled with a bunch of nonsense, sharp, clear thinking. You've sorted out truth from nonsense in your mind. You know how to get it done. You know how to think. And set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you, which is in the context he's talking about your salvation. Figure out everything that's happening in your life in terms of your relationship to God, your salvation, eternity. Figure out everything that you're doing from that standpoint of eternity. Be sober-minded. Be sharp. Gird your minds for action. So, uh, I've been thinking about this passage. This comes from the book of First Peter. So this was a passage I've been thinking about all week. So I thought I got to talk about it. Regarding this salvation, the prophets, those are the Old Testament prophets, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. He's talking about Christ. He's talking about salvation. Made careful search and inquiry. inquiry. <laughs> So you got to be more smart as, as a Christian so you can do big words as like inquiry. Um, trying to understand what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories of Paul. You're like, what in the world is that about? Well, if you'd studied your Bible, this wouldn't be a problem. But there's prophets. They prophesied. They said, God, is something big is coming down the pike. It involves an anointed Messiah figure who's going to both suffer and be glorified. And it's said that these prophets, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Jonah, Nahum, Sabadai, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Bacchus, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, they sat around going, why did I just write that? I don't know why I just wrote that. But I did. And it has to do with this coming figure because they're being inspired by God's spirit. And it says they're making careful search and inquiry. See, I can do it. I can say that word. Inquiry. <laughs> Because they know something really important, but they can't put the pieces together. It says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. This isn't for you, boys. You're in the old covenant. I'm talking about the new covenant, so I'm going to have you say some things, and you can't put the pieces together yet. This is not for you, but it's for you. 
new covenant people. These things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Fascinating phrase. Things into which angels long to look. That's an interesting word too, because look is literally the word that they use when they talk about the, the apostles and Jesus' closest friends coming and looking in the tomb, like what in the world is happening in there after Jesus rose from the dead? Why is the stone moved? Why are the angels here? Why is the, why are the grave clothed? Oh, exact same word. Angels are like, what in the world is going on down there with this whole salvation thing, this Jesus thing? Does that sound confusing? It says, therefore, prepare your minds for, for action so you know what I'm talking about. Keep sober, sober. Don't get all mixed up with worldly philosophy and thought because the battle's for the mind. It's going to take some work, some effort. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you because one of these days, God's going to shut the box and it's going to be all over. There's going to be winners and losers. He says, so, so learn how to use your mind so you will be on the winning side of things because you figured it out. The grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So a few points I just want to make here from this passage. Uh, actually, a couple points and a takeaway. One, prophets, apostles, smart guys, even angels can't figure out God's ways. Prophets, good prophets, God-ordained prophets in the Old Covenant, they couldn't make sense of it. Jesus' first disciples, when they were walking with Jesus, couldn't make sense of things. All the super smart religious people around Jesus couldn't make sense of what was going on. And this passage says, even the angels don't know what the heck God is doing in this world with Jesus, the Messiah, the scriptures, how to interpret them, the coming glory, the sufferings of Christ. So if you came in here with the assumption, if you're just a dabbler in religion, the assumption that you got things figured out, wake up and smell the coffee. You don't. You are blind as a mole, blind as a bat, banging around, and that's why life is pretty difficult. That's why we do things like drugs and get all involved in destructive habits and have mental breakdowns. It's because we're all banging around in the dark because the prophets, apostles, and smart guys can't get it. The smartest religious people in Jesus' day, John 3, Nicodemus, you're the teacher, the big dog teacher in Israel. You don't know what I'm talking about? He said, unless you're born again, what does that mean? Unless God helps you, you're sunk. So that's what that passage says first. That's one of the points. Only God's spirit reveals spiritual truth. So the, one of the keys is, okay, I'm as blind as a mole. Now, it doesn't mean you don't believe in God or you don't have some spiritual views. You believe in God and have spiritual views because humans are hardwired to believe in God and have spiritual views. But the problem is until God op opens your eyes, you're seeing everything wrong, everything twisted. And there are demonic spirits out there and they're helping you form your worldview. How do you know you're getting it right? Life is light. Life is easy. And you're winning. Uh, and some of you in here, you can say, that's me. Now, I didn't, some of you are truly Christians, but you're not yet to that point. You've been born again. You've accepted the gospel, but life is still not light, still not easy, and you don't feel like you're winning. And you know you're starting to sort this out, and God is regularly revealing things to you. Your marriage is working. Your parenting is working. 
You know how to get through crises. You can get fired at your job and drive home in the car whistling Dixie saying, hallelujah. God hasn't fallen off his throne. Life is still good. Good things are coming. That's a mature Christian. I'm not kidding. That's not a joke. That's really what you do. Somebody taps into your bank account and drains it. As a mature Christian, say, hallelujah, God, I hand this to you. How are you going to use this? Good things are coming. Your tire blows out. You start thinking about how God's going to use that. Hey, maybe I'm going to lead the mechanic to Christ. You know, the little AAA guy who comes out to fix it. Or who knows what's going to happen? Uh, and I've told this story many times, but since it came up in my mind, I'll tell it again. Get T-boned in my new pickup truck by some dope-smoking teenager and Little Ian is sitting next to me in the car like, oh, my goodness. Kid rolls in the ditch. They got to come cut him out with the jaws of life. He was okay, though. I could tell he wasn't. He was just knocked out. He wasn't bleeding out all over the place. But anyway, as soon as it happened, I turned to him and said, what do I do right now? He's, Praise Jesus. I was like, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff is coming. So, but where did I learn that from? I didn't cook that up. That sounds insane. God started to teach me how the universe really works. You can't learn any of this stuff. We're all blind as moles about what God's doing, whether it's what he was doing in Christ or how religion works or why the world works or why there's suffering or why there's pain and why God didn't break in and save me when I was a little kid. We're all blind as moles until we start, until we like wake up to the reality. Only God's spirit reveals spiritual truth. So we have to start there. God, I'm blind. Please show me the truth. And then comes the exhortation be obsessed with spiritual truth. Why are you here? What's the meaning of life? What's the Jesus thing all about? Why is true biblical Christianity different from all the other world religions? Already went into it. All the other world religions are trying to earn it. Biblical Christianity, grace-based Christianity, Jesus-centered, uh, true, authentic religion is, it's a gift. It starts with a gift. It starts with love. It doesn't end in love because you earn it. It starts with love. And on that foundation, you can do anything. So, Prophets, apostles, smart guys, even angels can't figure out God's ways. Only God's spirit reveals spiritual truth. Be obsessed with spiritual truth. Those are some points we can draw out of this. Um, and I thought it was kind of Christmassy because what's he talking about? The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. What are you talking about? Jesus, the Jesus event. What's the little baby in a manger? What does it mean? We all knew there was a baby in a manger before we were born again. We were sitting in churches and we knew there was a baby in the manger. We had no clue what it was about. We knew that he died on the cross. We had no clue what that was about. We knew the Bible was important. We had no clue what it said, what it meant. It's where we keep our documents at home, right? All our birth certificates, our wedding you know, certificate. It's where we keep all the important stuff. So we don't lose it because we know no one's going to open it. It's just gonna, <laughs> we won't lose anything if we keep it in the Bible. It's like, no, you get obsessed with finding the truth because... What else is there going on that's more important in your life than figuring out who God is and why he put you here? <clears throat> so for me, back to that legalism thing, I don't do this because I'm earning gold stars on the chart in heaven so I get a prize. I'm doing this because it's like, what else is there? I want to know what the battle's about. I want to know how to win it. And I want to know that anytime I get into something, whether Satan's coming against me, whether the world is throwing me a curveball, I know how to get through it and I know how to win. So what else we got here? Okay, so the Old Testament is just full of, I thought I would talk about prophecies regarding Christ. Do we know the word of God? Uh, it says the prophets who prophesied. That's something that he, he um, 
talks about in that passage. You guys should all know Isaiah uh, 53, one of the most beautiful prophecies about the crucifixion of Christ, but it also talks about his origins. It says he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and he said he had no former majesty that we should be drawn to him. When God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, there was nothing spectacular about him. He wasn't seven feet tall, you know, and, and some Nordic blonde-haired, blue-eyed model like Fabio, you know. <laughs> he, he was just a normal dude. And so it says, he, but then it goes on to say, well, why did he come? What was it about? And then it talks about this death. This was written 700 years before Jesus. Pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquity. The chastening that brought us peace fell on him by his wounds were healed. The prophets wrote that stuff and they're like, what am I writing here? What is this about? After Jesus died and rose from the dead, they read it and they say, this looks like the newspaper this morning. Then they got it. Oh my goodness. 700 years before the fact details about God raising up an anointed individual who's going to lay down his life for the sins of humanity. And that's why the Bible is so mind-blowing. Everybody's, you know, people who are critics of the Bible, I'm like, you just don't know it. You just got some silly argument from the Discovery Channel or out of National Geographic. You never studied it. You explain this to me. How can you write a 700-year-old prophecy that reads like the newspaper the next day after the resurrection of Jesus? It's impossible. It's because it's a supernatural book. But these prophets didn't even know what they're writing about. And we can't know what it's about unless we say, God, by your spirit, open my eyes. And when he opens our eyes, it's, it's jaw-dropping. Sometimes when you read the scripture, it's scary because you feel the presence of God with you, illumining you to the realities that God has been putting into this book for the last several millennia. So this is just one example of a prophecy. And if you remember, after the apostles, after the light went on, you know, 700 or so years after the fact, when they understood why God put it there in the book of Acts, we have this guy named Philip, and he goes up to a dude who's a government official from Ethiopia who happens to be reading this passage going, I have no idea what this is about. And Philip runs up. And he's heard he's reading Isaiah the prophet. He said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? I'm as baffled as the prophet who wrote it, or more so. He invited Philip to come sit next to him. Now, the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. And then he quotes Isaiah 53. Now, if you were in an airport and you found someone reading this passage and saying, what does it mean? There would be no easier introduction to give them the Romans road, lay out the scripture to them, bring them into the kingdom than this passage. And so that's exactly what Philip did, because with the illumination of the Holy Spirit, all the stuff that baffled the Old Testament prophets should be crystal clear to us now. Let's see, what else do I got here? Oh, this is interesting. Jesus dies, raises from the dead, and they're still banging around like moles and running into each other. And what in the world just happened? And his disciples never get, get this until Jesus opens up their mind, flips the light switch on. And that's all of us before the Holy Spirit helps us to understand. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. Oh, foolish men, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets has spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter his glory? 
Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. So this is Jesus talking to his disciples after he rose from the dead and they can't figure out what's happening. What are all these angels doing? What's the stone rolled away? Where did Jesus go? Do they steal his body? Some of the people said they saw him. None of them had a clue. And again, those of us, we grew up in church. We think we had a clue because somebody told us what we were supposed to believe. We never put you know, any thought into it ourselves. We never cracked the Bible open. We never tried to compare this scripture with that scripture. Someone just told us what to believe. <coughs> Must be true. It's what grandma believes. It's what mom and dad believes. One of the things you have to do is you got to enter into this thing for yourself. You pick up that book. You realize there's a God in heaven who can deal with you as an individual. And you say, all right, God, you and me, we're going to get to the bottom of this thing. You say, you can't do that with God. Well, that's obviously you haven't read the Bible because everybody does that with God. God invites us. What does Israel mean? One who prevails or wrestles with God. That's what Israel means. That's, that's the name of his people. He wants us to wrestle with him so we can be blessed. What did Jacob slash Israel say when he was wrestling with God? I won't let you go till you bless me. But you have to enter the fray. You have to get out the word. But first of all, you have to realize you can't do this by yourself. You say, God, okay, I'm going to wrestle with you. But uh, I realize that you're going to have to give me the ability to understand what you're the one that's going to have to give me what I'm after here, which is illumination. Uh, in the same chapter, he says, uh, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds. Has your, have your minds been opened yet to who God is, what he's doing? I didn't say do you go to church. Are you religious? Were you baptized or catechized? Did you do what the next person up the ladder told you to do? That's getting nobody into glory. Nobody's getting into glory because somebody told them what to do. The Bible says, seek for me and you'll find me when you seek with all your heart. Most of us had to do quite a bit of adjustment or totally shake off the tradition we came up in. And again, we're not the only show in town. There's other churches. There's other people all over the world um, that, that are preaching the truth. But wherever anybody finds the truth, they have to enter the fray for themselves. And God has to open your mind. And you have to start from that humble point of I'm blind as a bat. Reveal your truth to me. Open the scriptures to me. And if we have to cling on to our tradition, are those people, we'll probably never find it. Uh, and that's what you have all through scripture. That's just called dead religion. But true spirituality is for the people who have the courage to say, all right, God, you gave me a book. You have, you have invited me to engage you. You said, seek for me and you'll find me. Jesus said, ask or receive, seek, you'll find, knock, the door will be open to you. You've invited me. So here we go. Reveal the truth to me. Uh, interesting. What kind of things will we find? In the scripture, how meticulously do we have to search the scripture? I, I don't even think, I don't, I don't want to have you guys read ahead here we're in a day and i know that this is not absolutely totally true but people just don't know the bible anymore they don't know the bible people don't search the bible people aren't serious about this quest to find god to have the spirit open up the, the mysteries of scripture but uh for some reason i was thinking about jesus when he was young and a lot of us think jesus had the big red easy button that they used to have for that 
that, that store staples, you know, and then when things are hard, you just push the easy button. So, so if Jesus needs knowledge, push the easy button. He didn't have an easy button. He did. He, he grew exactly the same way we grow. He really became a human being. God, God, the son became a human being in the person of Jesus, but he existed before that time as eternal God. But when he became a man, it said it's, he set aside all his power and prerogatives as deity to function truly as a human being. So he had to learn stuff as we have to learn it. Well, he took the word of God very seriously. Um, we think if we know John 3.16 and we have a 10-minute devotional every day, read our daily bread or whatever. Don't mean to knock our daily bread. Maybe it's great. Haven't read it, but it's, it's a thing. We think we're, we're cutting-edge Christians. You know, we get a curriculum from the Sunday school factory and we teach fourth graders, uh, you know, you know, we really know the Bible. Um, if you look at in the Bible, how well people know the Bible, what it takes to actually win, where you find God's mysteries. Uh, what do we see? We see in the life of Jesus just to kind of inspire us. The child, this is Jesus, continued to grow, become strong, increasing in wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year for the Feast of the Passover. And again, I'm thinking of our walk through the Bible, you know, it's like with, with the Moses and the, the plagues and the Passover and the Red Sea and the Mount Sinai and law and, the, you know, but uh, we need to know these things because we know the Bible. We know what the Passover is. What's well, the feast that commemorates the last plague where. So he so he's 12 and they're in Jerusalem. He went there according to the custom. They're returning after spending the full number of days. The, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents were unaware of it. Now, this morning, I was like, my goodness, I have kids. Can you imagine losing your kid for three days? You'd go bonkers. You'd be frantic, crazy. So they lost him for three days. And, and Joseph and Mary are real people. They didn't float around with two or three fingers up, you know, with, you know, glowing plates behind their head and just say platitudes. They were real people. And they lost their real child. And uh, they didn't find him. They returned to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teacher, both listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers at 12 years old. When people talk to you, are they amazed at your understanding of Scripture? Are they amazed at how much you know? Are, you, are they amazed at how you put it together? Are they amazed at how you apply it to your life and your life seems to be running more smoothly than anybody else's around you? Are they amazed at you? Well, at 12 years old, he's shown us how to do it. What kind of things could Jesus do with the Scripture that made everybody's jaw hit the floor? And then this made me think of something <clears throat> later in life that he did that caused everybody who opposed him to shut their mouth. Can you do that? Are your religious beliefs so well thought out that you're not afraid to engage anybody and you know, you're going to win. So let's look what Jesus did here. And if you can't now, this is again, this is not what we're talking. This is not legalism. Oh, I'm going to have to do more. So it's to win. Do you want to win with your kids? Do you want to win with your marriage? Do you want to be able to help your best friend get off meth? Do you want to be able to help your suicidal friend stop hearing voices in their head? Do you want to be the one? Well, it's all about knowing the word, knowing God's ways, seeking his face, being taught by his spirit. But let's, I, I just, for some reason, one of the Psalms, actually, that's not Psalm 2, that's Psalm 110. I made a mistake because I, uh, I, I was going to do Psalm 2 and I didn't. 
But uh, this is Psalm 110. So Psalm 110 says, the Lord, Yahweh, and those of you who come to this church, you know what that is, says to my Lord, Adonai, it's actually, anyway, I'm not going to explain why, forget it. it, that's just, it's lexical form, yeah, actually has a predominant suffix on it when he says it, but Adonai, so Yahweh, my Lord, says to the Lord Yahweh, says to my Lord, Adonai, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. How Jesus interpreted this made all the religious leaders in his day shut their mouths and stop asking questions. I was like, did he find that when he was 12? He probably, he could have. He could have found this mystery when he was 12. Basically, it's a little bit tricky. But these kind of things are locked in scripture. What Jesus was trying to prove was that the messianic person that was being sent to earth was something much greater than a man. So some of you guys are just going to be totally lost here. And it's just going to prove my point. We need to study our Bibles more. Basically what Jesus is saying, this Psalm says that Yahweh, the creator of the universe is speaking to one of David's relatives, but David calls this relative, his Lord. So God calls this descendant of David, David's Lord. I don't know if that makes sense to you. Adonai is a, is a lesser word, but it's like master. So the creator of the universe is saying to David's descendant, who is David's master. And Jesus basically says, how can David's descendant be David's master if he's his offspring? Just the way the Bible is put together. Why would, why would God say to this descendant of David, who David calls his master, the things that are coming in this psalm, unless that person was something much greater than a man. And all the religious leaders in his day who knew the Bible verbatim, some of them in multiple languages, they shut their mouth and the end of this section says, if David calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day to ask him another question. There are mysteries and nuances in the Bible that if you will search into them and develop your mind and gird your mind for action, because the whole warfare is ideas, you can always win. You can, and again, it's not just about being right. Some of us are from families, like if we're right and everybody leaves the room crying, we're like, yes, I got them all. That's not what we're doing here. That's not what we're doing. We're not doing this just to be right. We're doing this because truth sets people free and truth put it and lies put people in bondage. And truth is the, is the realm of God and lies are the realm of Satan. And the word of God is how God reveals himself to us so we can go out there and we can set people free. We have people in here who are suicidal, had voices in their head, and they're not anymore. We have people who are on meds. They're not on meds anymore. We people people who are legally medicated and illegally medicated, and they're not anymore. There's people who are hopeless. They're not anymore. Why? It was truth. It was the, it was spirit revealed truth through the word. But I was just even thinking about Jesus as our example here. He could do things with scripture as a child, as a child that made the people around him who were in error shut their mouth. That's what we should aspire to, to gird our minds for action so that we can win this battle of ideas.
I hope this makes sense. And it's not just about being smart because there's plenty of smart people whose lives stink. And if you're smart and your life stinks, you're smart, but you're not wise. Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge to life so that you win. That's what we're after. We're, act, we're after spiritual knowledge that actually works in the real world. But uh, so, so anyway, Jesus is just a beautiful example of how we can shut down all the opposition if we really know how to handle Scripture. And the only way to really know how to scripture, handle Scripture is to do your time in Scripture. More time than right now is popular because we have this kind of dumb magic mentality of what Christianity is. Uh, I got voices in my head. Well, let me come pray for you, brother. In Jesus' name, I rebuke the voices in your head. Be gone, right? And then you like come back a week later. I still am like having these voices tell me I'm worthless and to kill myself and whatever. And the rebuke the voices thing just didn't work. Well, what you really need is truth. So maybe there was a spirit and you kicked them out when you said, in Jesus' name, be gone. He said, oh, but they left a crack there. So I'm just going to do a U-turn and head right back in. And I'm going to bring some friends with me. That person's going to be worse off. What you really need is truth. And once you have truth, you seal up that crack and there's no more chance for those destructive thoughts to get into your mind. Now you're building up a fortress. So let's see here. Yeah, I got a lot of things here that I uh, aren't going to be able to go over. Heading the wrong direction here. So I'll go back to my three points real quick, and then I'll wrap it up here in five-ish minutes. So our points, prophets, apostles, smart guys, even angels can't figure out God's ways. Only God's spirit reveals spiritual truth. So be obsessed with finding it. Be obsessed with finding it. No scripture with Jesus as our model and then his followers as well. The truth comes through a deep knowledge of the scriptures as taught by the Holy Spirit. Not pictures and visions. That's another big deception going on right now. Big Christian centers where people go to see visions and dreams and don't bother with the scripture because they're too lazy. No, I'm, I'm all for visions and dreams, but you, at, you have to know the scripture so you can frame out which ones come from heaven and which ones come from hell. That's what we're not doing right now. And so people are wiping out, wiping out, wiping out all over the place. But uh, let me see here. How, how are we going to do this? How are we going to prepare a mind? I'll give you some suggestions. Here's, here's some just very practical takeaways. Choose today what you're going to give your mind to. <clears throat> all of you, we, we, we've all been allotted the exact same currency of time. You have seven days a week and you have 24 hours. All of us are going to choose right now as we sit what we're going to give our mind to next week. Some of us, it's going to be our phone. It's going to be Twitter. It's going to be whatever, Facebook for older people. It's going to be uh, what? Some of us, it's going to be YouTube. Some of us, it's going to be school because that's so important. And I get that next job and I get that next degree. It's going to be school. That's what we're going to give our mind to. Um, but you're going to choose today what you're going to, even by default. And I'll put it off, by, I'll put it off to tomorrow if I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to make my decision to think about eternal things to get to know God, God's ways better next week than I know them this week. And the only way that I'm going to do that is to carve out a prime chunk of time where I can study the word and pray. And if I don't do that, it's because I'm choosing to give my mind to something else. I'm going to give my mind to hanging out with friends. I'm going to give my mind to whatever, more work, more school, more entertainment. But choose right now. The Bible says, gird your mind for action, fix your hope completely 
on the grace that's going to be bought you. Do everything that you do in light of salvation and how that plays out in this world. Your salvation, the salvation of those you love, and how salvation applies your life and is lived out in the real world, which is called sanctification. Are, are you devoted completely, your mind completely? So ultimately what we're saying here, are you going to obey this scripture or not? Well, I'm going to do it tomorrow. Well, it didn't say do it tomorrow. It's the decision you need to make now. Choose what you're going to give your mind to. And if you believe what I'm saying here, that this is a battle and it's all about ideas, what practical decisions are you going to make? I have a five o'clock warriors group me. We report when we wake up every day, not as a legalistic thing, but because I know there's that inner struggle and it's easy to say, I'll do it later. But when I have some guys helping me be the kind of guy that I want to be, I, it's just a little push I need to get up at five. So I do that. And then I have CD group. I've got a core discipleship group. I let them know how much time I'm spending in the word and prayer. It's not legalism because I'm not doing this to earn God's love. I'm doing this to win. And because it's super fun to watch God work in your lives and, and to have God work in my life and to see miracles. It's fun. And I know that if I'm not doing my time and I'm not tuned in the Lord, I'm not going to see anything. So I have, what are you doing? We have seminars. Adjust your schedule. Some of you guys are going to seminary. Some, we have to gird our minds for action so that we understand what God's up to and we can participate with him. So if you don't make a choice to do this, you've made a choice not to do it. All right. Get to know the scriptures. Sounds like what I just said, isn't it? No, I mean, really. I mean, really. Who's Melchizedek? If you don't know who Melchizedek is, the Bible says you're a baby. Oh, you got me. So then people just learn who Melchizedek is and they don't worry about who. <laughs> they don't know who Jeremiah is and they don't know who Mephibosheth is, but they know who, that's not what it's saying. It's we need to know the figures. We need to know the main events, the main, you know, things that are happening in scripture. Get to know scripture. And again, choose what you'll do and then come up with a plan how you're going to get to know the word of God. And if it feels like a burden, again, like Matt said, you're doing it wrong. If it's exciting and fun, you're doing it right. Still, still workouts are hard. You still sweat. If you work out really hard, you might throw up in a trash can. But, but the results are pretty good. Oh, I'm tempted to go here. No, people say don't tote your own home. I'm getting a little bit healthier. I was like, why didn't I do this a long time ago? Life is easier now that I'm healthy. It's just easier. I bought last Christmas. I bought a. I said five minutes. Yeah, I'm still good. I bought this puncher thing for my back because I was getting heavy. And when you get heavy, your back goes out. So I bought this puncher thing and it was very expensive, but I kept getting back pain. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to have to, I haven't had to use it once. We wasted our money because I, right? So the working out is hard, but the benefits are fabulous. So it's the same. What are you going to do? It is hard, but even while I'm doing them, I'm like, there's going to be a payoff. There's going to be good things happening. There's going to be more people sitting here next year whose lives have been changed. There's going to be answers to prayer because I'm seeking the Lord and I'm giving him priority. So choose today what you're going to give your mind to, then get to know the scripture, come up with a plan to do that. Acknowledge it on your own. You're as blind as a bat. Do you realize that? Or do you still think you're pretty slick? You know, I got this far without the Holy Spirit. I can probably go the rest of the way. All right, you lose. You've already lost. You've lost the game, you know, and there's no way to get on track until you acknowledge, God, I don't know. I can't know because I can't see into that metaphysical spiritual realm. Jesus said, nobody knows what's up there except the one that came from there. And he said, that's me. And so we first of all have to acknowledge that we're blind. And that's for a lot of us. 
the idea that we're really dumb and don't know what we're doing religiously, that's the kind of the day that the heavens opened up and the angels sang and we started to get freedom to say, God, teach me. And he said, thank you. I thought you'd never ask that you're just going to go through your life assuming because your grandma was a, you know, whatever your grandpa was a Baptist minister. You had it all figured out. Acknowledge you're blind, pray earnestly, pray earnestly for God to reveal more truth and beware because he's going to mess with what you think, you know, he's coming after it and he's going to offend you. He's going to stomp on your toes and then James, you think you know what prayer is? No, you don't. You think you know who the Holy Spirit is? No, you don't. Think you know what spiritual gifts are? No, you don't. You think you know how the end time pans out, what the second head on the beast in Revelation is? No, you don't. The Holy Spirit's just going to go smash, 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 smash your toes. And then, but then he's going to show you what's really up. So James says, remember, with humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. But he also says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And he's talking about when the word comes for real, once you start doing this, boy, I must be wrong about a lot of stuff. Start laying it on me. God's going to start showing you, even in your religious views, how wrong you are. And then, you know, you're getting it right because you're going to get more and more free. The biggest revelation for me was I thought I knew who God was because my theology, all my theological ducks were in a row and I aced my theology courses and my seminary courses and my Bible college courses. And God says, you don't know me. You don't know who I am. You got all this secondhand. But if you're willing, I can show you. What else? Be sober. This is one that I wanted to emphasize, but I don't have time. Do you even know how to think? <laughs> it's, are you, are you courageously, uh, courageous enough to look somebody who, with more education and say, you know what you just did? That was, you were cheating. That, what you just tried to pull on this class, you were cheating. I actually did this once with one of the greatest Greek scholars on the planet. He flew off the handle and I left his class. I, and I took a $3,000 hit. I said, I don't care. I don't need to be with this man because I truly caught him cheating using logical fallacy. It's called guilt by association. And he was trying to say, this guy's bad because he wrote a book with this guy. And I raised my hand and said, that does nothing to do with anything. That was a that was a point counterpoint thing. You can't, it's called guilt by association, um, and he didn't want some, you know, wet behind the ears, new, you know, PhD student telling him what's up because he's written fifty books, so he blew his. You need to learn how to think well, because people are cheating, and they will cheat you and try to. What about what about the opinion of the majority? That means nothing. The majority is usually wrong. You know, for, for until Copernicus, the majority believed in a, you know, world a universe that's centered around the earth. And it wasn't Christian's fault. It was Aristotle's fault. The majority is not, not always right by virtue of the fact your parents aren't always right. Your religion's not. Can you think for yourself? I can't even go into this. Learn how to think. So you're sober. So you're, you're pulling out erroneous ideas from, like, boy, I wish I could go on. I'll go, come to our next seminar. We're going to be going more into that. Another point, and here's another one that's vital. When you start doing this, God will start revealing things to you, but then you have to have the courage to act. When you do finally find out how important the poor are to God, you got to start doing something about it, and then you make the other Christians around you really uncomfortable. Or you do really find out what prayer is, your brother-in-law's in seminary. And he's going to tell you you're wrong because all of these big fat books 
go into Greek philosophy and kill the definition of prayer. And you got to be willing to stand up and obey and do what God has told you to do. And then guess what? You're going to be persecuted. That's proof that you're doing it right. And a lot of times by religious folks. Do you have the courage to then act when God shows you things? Because if you're not going to act, he's not going to show you anymore. You shut it all down the day you say, you know what? I know the poor are important, but I was kind of hoping for the American dream thing. I know evangelism is important, but I, that just really freaks me out. And I kind of like the whole frozen chosen thing where you're chosen or you're not. And you just kind of write it out. That was like, no. Um, and God's going to say, no, I want you to act now. And the more you act on it, the more revelation you get. Do I have any more here? And how, oh, how does this all pan out? Pans out into Christ-likeness. If you're getting it right, you look more and more like Jesus. You have more and more of an amazing effect on the people around you. On that foundation of love, you now become the manifestation of love in a world that doesn't know much about it. And in the Bible, you can also call that holiness. So as obedient children, ultimately all this issue is out in obedience. Don't be conformed to your former lusts, which are yours in your ignorance. You've girded your mind for action. But like the Holy One who called you, who is love, be holy yourself also in all your behavior because it's written, you should be holy for I'm holy. So this God who calls you into this loving covenant and then trains you by renewing your mind, what, what's the end result? You become like him, compassionate, kind, gracious, powerful, everything that we're yearning to be as his little image bearers. So I, uh, I apologize. I didn't do that in five minutes. But anyway, you're still all here. Uh, love you guys. I hope this was helpful. But that's why we do what we do. We're not earning anything. We are secure as we can be. We're as saved as we can be. But I want to live as full as I can on this side of eternity and take as many people with me and have as positive an impact as I can. The only way to do that is to gird up my mind for action. And I'm in a community that wants the same thing. So I'll end with that. Let's say a prayer and then... Let's eat all those leftovers from last night's agape feast. So, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Max, his testimony. Thank you for Matt, his encouraging word. Thank you for all the lives that you're changing in this place. Uh, be with us for the rest of the day. Let us glorify you. Let us make changes, the changes we need to make. Let us not put it off till tomorrow. We pray that your, you and your kingdom would be our number one. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks for coming. And if you're new, which some, I think I saw some new faces, I'd love to meet you before you slide out the door. So thanks for coming. Thanks for coming, Zoomers. Love you guys.